Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Justin Mead, owner of Vegan Style Footwear and Accessory Store in Melbourne, Australia. Starting out with humble beginnings in two small rooms that were shared with a vegan cafe, to opening a flagship store on the vegan-friendly hub on Brunswick Street, the company has grown to become a market leader in the provision of high-quality, fashionable and stylish products that are made without harming animals and minimising impact on the environment. Vegan Style carries a diverse range of brands in women's and men's styles from across the globe, including its house brand, Zet. Among the innovative, eco-friendly materials used in some products are recycled polyurethane bottles and laser-cut wood from ethically managed forests. Also, Vegan Style became the first retailer in Australia to carry sneakers made from Pinatex, a leather alternative made from pineapple leaves. Justin started Vegan Style in 2010 while still working full-time in web development for the Department of Education. And he still works full-time for the Victorian State Government. In this interview, he talks about how staying in a salaried day job can allow your business to grow much faster, the need to educate customers on the higher price points of products, the importance of valuing your staff and utilising all their skills, the pros and cons of using the word vegan in your business name, and much more. Here's the interview with Justin Mead of Vegan Style. Hello, Justin. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Katrina. (laughs) All right. So look, my first question to every guest I have on the show is about your why. So tell us about why you started Vegan Style and why you continue to do it. Well, if you want a broad statement that sort of reflects our mission, um, I would say to give ethical shoppers access to beautiful, stylish luxury goods, particularly footwear and accessories, but we're also um, dipping into other types of products like cosmetics and that sort of thing soon. Um, From a personal point of view, uh, I've been vegan for, oh, geez, 15 and a half years or something now, and, you know, vegetarian way longer than that, I'm not going to say because I'll give away my age. So I've always keenly felt that we are missing out on things we shouldn't have to miss out on, Um, you know, and and because we want to create a better world, um, it seems like there's luxury tends to be associated with real cruelty, you know, um, unborn skin cuff, leather and fur and, you know, all those sorts of things, Um, which, you know, I I find really horrible. But sometimes the the styles and and the aesthetics of those goods and the craftsmanship and the longevity and the quality, you know, it's sort of, I always thought we should have access to that too. And obviously a lot of other people in the world are thinking the same thing because there is, there are plenty of products on the market at the moment. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now you've run that vegan style now for several years and you started in a shared premises and then you've really grown and you've been so successful that you've uh, moved to a larger uh, retail store. And I think we were just chatting before you're about to actually move into uh, another premises, which is fantastic and a really busy part of Melbourne. And you've done all of this while working full time in a government job. So tell us a bit about why you decided to do it that way and, and keep your job and launch and run a shoe business. Okay, there's a couple of reasons. Well, number one, it kind of it, it kind of happened organically. We actually started in our spare bedroom in um, in one of my former houses that I was living in a few years ago, and then when we moved to our current residence, our garage became the shop. But it, we just we just kept growing and growing, and so we outgrew we outgrew the bedroom really quickly. We outgrew the garage really quickly, and then we moved to. Um, to share the premises with a vegan cafe. Um, we had the upstairs room for a bit, then we outgrew that, so we moved downstairs. And we've just, when I think about it, actually the growth has been phenomenal and it just doesn't stop. It's unrelenting, which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, so 
I think one of the main reasons we've been able to grow that quickly is because I've kept my day job, which helps fund life. You know, I mean, the business is going so well, but it certainly um, it certainly wouldn't have been able to grow as fast as it has if I hadn't been working full time as well. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the kind of business that you've got, like you, because you're not physically there, you have you've got to have staff. So it's kind of interesting that you say that because a lot of people would think, oh, well, I've got to uh, work in the business myself to begin with because that will save money by not paying a staff member. So it's actually quite quite interesting that you 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 say that that uh, that it's worked out for you this way, and that's good as well for for other people to know that because I think sometimes you know business owners think, oh, okay, I've got to be there and I've got to be doing it, and that's obviously not necessarily the case. I can see the value in taking that approach, though. Uh, but I still, when I do the um, see myself, do the uh, balance between my salary and what I pay out in staff salary, it's still more beneficial for me to pay staff to do it. And then, if you're if you lock yourself into being the only person who can run your business, you've got no flexibility if you want to travel, if you get sick, if you've got family commitments, social. You know, it really would limit you. I think. That's a really good point, actually. Very, very good point. Um, and that's that can be something, yeah, that I say a lot of business owners do. And it sort of becomes, you know, all about them and, and perhaps, you know, too much control. So it's great that you've actually done that off the back. And I think that's actually quite, um, you know, helpful and inspirational for people to know that that is another option um, to do. So tell us about who your main clientele is. We'll talk a little bit later about, you know, the choice of using the word um, vegan in your title and your marketing and stuff. But for now, who are your main clients? tell and and approximately what percentage of them are actually vegan compared to people you know who just want a, a nice pair of shoes it's a really good question and um i haven't got hard stats on it and i would really like to collect them at some point i'm just not sure how to go about it um given that if you were if you ask people in the store oh by the way are you vegan you know some but just from anecdotal evidence i'd say about 50% are ethical vegans and then you probably have your vegetarians, which would make up quite a big percentage, uh, and then you have other groups that are there because they're interested in more fair trade or um, some of the ecological-friendly products we've got. Um, and then uh, definitely in the shop we get uh, street foot traffic from the street um, who are just there because the actual styles appeal to them. Got it, got it. That's right. And is it mainly men or because you you actually um, sell men's and women's um, shoes? Are you predominantly women or male customers? It goes in waves. It's really interesting. Some some days it'll be, you know, ninety percent women's shoes that get sold, and then some days it's you know oh, it wouldn't be ninety percent men, but maybe sixty seventy percent men. So um, yeah, there's really uh, quite interesting. Uh, just observing how differently men and women tend to shop overall. There are no rules, absolutely no rules. But um, women tend to come in and buy, women tend to buy more seasonally, where men seem to buy more around, um, you know, they need new shoes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it's good that you mentioned actually about the the being on the street. I think that's actually a good, obviously a good advantage in that people could just walk past, not necessarily see the name of your shop, but just see you know really cool products and think, oh yeah, I want those, and to come in. So that that's good to hear that that's happening. An obvious advantage of having a, a shop from. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, some of the challenges that vegan business owners face. So a lot of the time, vegan products are pricier because, and particularly if they're fair trade and they're sustainable as well. Um, because, you know, business owners aren't able to get the discounts available in bulk purchases of raw materials and all sorts of other reasons. Um, how do you deal with this challenge to stay competitive and attract clients? Well, again, I think one of the reasons why I've stayed working full time is to, um, I don't think it, I know it, um, is to keep the price down because I can actually channel extra funds into the business. You know, I'm not, I don't need to draw a salary from the business yet. Um, that that will change. Um, I, I can I can keep the uh, profit margins down to keep them a little bit lower than if I you know if I needed to pay bills from from the business. So. Um, 
What about in terms of people complaining? Because, you know, some people do, you know, that you, you put out some of your products and they say, oh, they're really expensive. They're out of the price of ordinary people, whatever whatever ordinary people are supposed to be. Well, how do you kind of deal with that kind of criticism or complaints? Yeah, it's quite challenging. Um one of the things we do is we, we just have to educate our customers. You know, we have to explain that um, not only are these products uh, made fairly in mostly in Europe, um, you know, country, but we tend to work with stick, sorry, stick to products where um, they're produced in countries with robust uh, worker rights, and um, you know, and those those rights are enforced by the government. Um, so, uh, you know, we explain that. We explain that most of the materials are produced in, um, also in Europe, mostly Italy produces most of the uh, high-quality microfiber and a lot of the cork comes from Portugal, things like that. So these countries have strong or stronger environmental standards than perhaps some where, you know, the bulk of the shoe, world's shoes are still produced in um, the developing countries like China and Bangladesh, Cambodia, Vietnam and stuff, where um, those those standards aren't so strong. Um, mm. So it, it really is an educational point of view uh, process. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point you've raised about telling those stories behind the brand because I, I've spoken with other business owners and, and and as we say, it's like there's a cost somewhere mm-hmm. um, and they don't often, you know, the, we don't often think that. We're used to going to places like Payless or Kmart, you know, for a $25 pair of shoes and we think, oh, yeah, that that's the kind of, you know, that should be the standard. But we don't realise the, the other costs involved, whether it's to people, animals or the planet. And someone is paying the price for your bargain. <laughs> that's a really good point very good very good soundbite that <laughs> it's very true <laughs> so, so I think the just, quality is yeah. is better when uh, people get you know when people can take pride in their work because they're not worried about su- survival and all that sort of thing so and I, yeah and i think as well you know when you buy something that's really good quality it lasts for a good while do you know what i mean mm. you're not constantly having to buy like every three months or every six months buying you know cheap crappy shoes because they're falling apart you know you're actually hanging on to them for quite some time which you know is is cost effective in the long run i guess and also more sustainable yeah yeah so yeah we're yeah. really big on having shoes that last more than one or two seasons Excellent, excellent. So let's go back to when you when you first started up vegan style. What were some of your challenges then, and how have they changed as you've grown as a business? Well, one of the things is I just had to learn um, uh, about shoes, actually, because I must admit, you know, I've always enjoyed fashion and style, but I didn't have a robust knowledge of shoes, particularly women's shoes. Um, so just that really broad understanding, you know, heel height is important, um, just the different names of different styles and stuff. Um, what else? Um, oh, finding the capital, of course, was or has always been one of our <laughs> challenges and continues to be one of our biggest challenges, but I'm sure that's true of every business, um, or most at least. But I'd say... One of the things I completely underestimated at the beginning and probably still do to some extent, though I, uh, I think we've addressed that a little bit, um, is marketing. It really neat. I read somewhere, I can't remember where, so I should find the source of this, that um, your initial startup marketing budget should be 30% of your overall budget. And um, at the time I didn't really think about the marketing. I thought, oh, I'll just get on Facebook and tell people what we're doing and it'll grow. And it certainly we certainly got a lot of interest doing that, but um, I think if we had had a better marketing strategy from the very beginning, uh, the gro- our growth would have been even bigger. Right, right. Good. No, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that's that's important for people to know that. And you're absolutely right. Certainly a lot of the vegan business owners I speak to, they they don't factor in uh, either anything or very little for marketing and PR. So it's interesting that you, you, you um, yeah, that you shared that. So I, I appreciate you sharing that as well. So as a store that stocks other people's brands, uh, as well as your own house brand, Z, how do you decide what to sell? Um. <laughs> After several years now, uh, my instincts are a lot better around knowing what will sell and what's current and um, 
what will work. But uh, in the beginning, I used to run focus groups uh, with various vegan, local vegans, um, just to get a sense of what styles they think they would buy or what they thought would sell or something. We don't do that so much anymore. Uh, but going back to staff, I actually lean quite heavily on my staff to um, provide feedback on what they think will sell. Um, they're quite they're quite a um, hip bunch of people. <laughs> they kind of understand current trends. They know current trends. Um, they are diverse enough to actually provide differing opinions. So um, that can be fun at times. But uh, yeah, I'd say, and, and they're dealing with the customers every day. So they know what people are asking for and stuff like that. That's great. Well, that leads nicely into my next question, which was about staff. And I would say, obviously, particularly with you, even more so because you're not there kind of on the ground yourself, um, obviously really important to have the right staff, um, you know, to look after the store and to represent you as a brand. How do you go about finding and keeping experienced, motivated staff? Yeah, um, I haven't had to find, uh, haven't had to go out and seek staff. Uh, we get we get CVs, or oh, sorry, resumes handed in at least several a week so a lot of time it's you know it's the timing I go I need someone I'll have a look at um who's interested and they tend to all be passionate ethical vegans which is great everyone on the team is a vegan we don't insist on it but it seems to be the way it happens which is great um and uh so I'm just trying to think yeah some of the uh, some people are so highly skilled nowadays. I think it's a tough market out there. So it's working in a business owner's favour if you can offer work, particularly um, something ethical and uh, specialised in veganism. It's a pretty rare business that can offer um, offer that to someone. Um, but, yeah, the last two people we've had have got marketing degrees and Oh, that's really helpful, having people with, with marketing degrees. So are they working um, full-time or part-time or a mix of both, Justin? Um, I don't have any full-timers at the moment. I've only got uh, casuals, but um, that's actually something I'm considering looking at as well just to get a bit more uh, stability. So, um, I mean, and you and you obviously look after your staff. Well, the fact that you're you're getting regular resumes, you, you know, your staff um, obviously happy working for you. What kinds of things do you do to to look after them so that they love coming to work? Um, I think you need to value their opinion, and I, mean, I have to I have to put a lot of trust in them. So, um, I think when you have that expectation of people, they step up. Yeah, you know, I, I mean. I've been managing teams for years now. It is quite different because normally I manage a team when I'm there and they're all working with each other. So you all interact and you see how things are going over a work week. Whereas with the with the business, there's only ever one, well, there's mostly only ever one person in the shop at any time. And so they don't get to interact with each other as much or me. Um, but um, they're all a bunch of pleasant people. Um, yeah, I, I think really, and working with their skills, like I mentioned, a couple of them had marketing backgrounds, but also some, one of them's very, she's an avid photographer and, uh, you know, I've got some people who really enjoy writing as well. And I think, I think um, letting them bring their own things to the, to the business, to the team is really valuable as well. They seem to, well, they've told me they really appreciated it. Fantastic. Now, oh, that's really good to hear. That's excellent. Um, so let's talk a bit about competition. So there's now there's a much more diverse range, as you mentioned earlier, of, of vegan shoe stores, both physical stores and, you know, obviously buying online and, and even in a, a global marketplace. You know, we can we can order shoes from abroad, etc. So how do you go about standing out both within and outside of the vegan business arena and maintaining a regular flow of clients? Yeah, it's an interesting challenge. There is still not a lot of bricks and mortar vegan shoe shops in Australia, but the the two that do exist are really close to each other. <laughs> um, I really, uh, the other business t tends to focus on more practical work boots, uh, hiking boots, athletic stuff. So I really, and I've, this works for me anyway, but I wanted to focus more on fashion and style and look and quality and stuff. So um, 
there is definitely overlap between those two our two businesses but um at the same time i think there is something different they're also they produce their own brand primarily whereas we want to carry a really wide range of different brands um, awesome. to give consumers yeah. the the option there aren't really a lot of shoe shops like us um i can think of a few in america a handful in america and a couple in in europe but yeah um there are a lot of shoe brands that um that have their own shop for their own brand, like vegetarian shoes, for instance, um, but not so many that sell a wide range of brands. I mean, obviously there's Moo Shoes, who are um, fairly um, fairly good friends with, and uh, yeah, there's there's, a, there's some in, one in Sweden, I believe, and, but they are opening up all the time. And so uh, Visa, of course, in um, in Germany, they're, they're the only chain. Oh, no, Mooshoes is a chain as well. So, yeah, it's definitely in Europe and America, I think the um, growth of veganism is much bigger than here. So just because of sheer numbers, not not percentages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so those businesses can actually grow quite fast. But, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting. I think it, it really helps to have the different brands because you get to speak to the suppliers who also have relationships with the other retailers um so there seems to they seem to all work with each other for sure and you're obviously very innovative i notice you know um some of the materials that you use you're constantly looking for new and innovative products such as the pinatex which is the pineapple leather you've got a couple of sneakers um made out of pineapple leather um i think you're the first as far as we know the first um stockist in australia to to have pinatex it's a fairly new material so i don't think there's a lot of products being produced yet but what i've noticed is a lot of the other pinatex products aren't being produced by vegan brands per se they've just been picked up by standard businesses whereas the ones we carry are by nae which stands for no animal exploitation so they're very much a vegan um brand and vegan oriented brand uh yeah yeah the pinatex is really exciting i've got a pair of pinatex shoes myself that i've been trying um see Fantastic. And it's great that you've got that combination of not just vegan because, you know, you can get cheap kind of, you know, or you can get vegan shoes that, you know, may not have been made fair trade or, you know, maybe made out of material that's not very good for the environment. Whereas I really like that we can go to vegan style and, you know, you do take into account people, animals and planet, which I think is one of the the strengths of, of your business. So that's fantastic. What do you think about the whole idea of not thinking about competition and seeing everyone as a collaborator because we're all on the same mission for a vegan world? What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I like that idea because it suits, well, I think when humans are animals as well and, you know, I think um, to lead a vegan lifestyle, you want to make sure that uh, other humans are happy as well. And I'm not a terribly competitive person at the best of times. It's not how I like to live my life. So, um, yeah, I'd much rather collaborate with um, people doing similar or slightly similar things. I've got a, I do uh, both socialise and work with different vegan businesses because, we have the same challenges, the same frustrations, um, the same successes, you know, and it's good to connect and make sure that, well, you understand that the struggle, you're not alone in the struggle. There are other people going through similar experiences, and I think that can be really valuable. Exactly. I know when I interviewed Seth Tibbet from Tofurky and, uh, you know, obviously there's lots more, you know, alternative meat products now. And he said, yeah, but that's a good thing because it's like a rising tide lifts all boats. So the more that there are, you know, the greater um, part of the market that you can get. So it kind of ends up being a win for everyone. So um, that's great. So, so let's. <laughs> either way with the, the, the there's more demand. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, and it kind of forces businesses, I think, as well, to be, to continue to be more innovative. So as something becomes, a, you know, a bit more mainstream and people can get it from, you know, lots of different places, it kind of forces uh, business owners to continue to innovate mm-hmm. and, and look for, for more unique products and stuff, which is great, I guess, for consumers as well. Um, so we touched a little bit on uh, marketing. I remember, you, I remember you said you kind of went on Facebook and used social media a fair bit. So what if been some of the marketing strategies you've used that have been successful in growing vegan style to date one of the and i remember reading this piece of advice very early when i started the business and ignoring it so i you know i, I do <laughs> have made a few mistakes as we went along but um the classic one is get your email mark email list and grow it it's 
probably the most effective thing you can do from what I understand and, and certainly um, we've put a lot of effort into ours lately and it, it really does seem to bring back nearly immediate results. It's the best way of communicating with people. We also have a massive amount of success with Facebook. Um, I get very frustrated with Facebook at times, particularly the way Facebook is not always the friendliest product to use for businesses, um, but it works. So... When you say it works, Justin, is that more for paid ads yeah. or organic? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think I just posted something recently about their recent updates and they're apparently going to favour more stuff from family and friends in people's news feeds. So, of course, a lot of business owners are getting quite annoyed. So it's actually good to hear that, you know, you're having some success with it, even if it is pay to play. I think there's still a knack and a trick in, in getting Facebook ads to work for you. So it's good that you've honed in on that and, and mastered that. And you're absolutely right about the whole email thing. It's like, I think the analogy is, you know, it's no good building your house on someone else's land, which is, you know, like when you do on Facebook, because if they decide to, you know, evict you or close down your channel, then you've lost all those people. Whereas if they're on your email system, you know what I mean? You've you've still got them. So that, yes. that's great to hear. All right. Let's talk about this is particularly obviously a very pertinent question for you. And again, it's one I ask everyone is that the use of the word vegan mm -hmm. in your not at marketing materials and branding. You've also got it in your businesses name um so tell us that you're thinking around that why you chose to have vegan in the name um whether you would do the same again or you know just any or if your thoughts have changed along those lines just tell us a little bit about your thinking about the use of the word vegan um when when i was coming up with the name i um was trying you know i thought vegans doing it vegan style was cute you know um also, the, there was a stereotype that the two two things weren't necess necessarily uh, words that work together. You know, they were a bit mutually exclusive, um, <laughs> and I wanted to sort of redress that uh, stereotype, that misconception. Um, you can be vegan and you can be stylish. Um, but would I do it again? Frankly, I probably wouldn't. Um, it's it's a it is challenging being, uh, you know, so overtly a vegan business, particularly as we don't sell food. So there is a huge amount of confusion um, whenever we do anything, go like going for a bank loan through to uh, putting the branding on our new window. When we did that, um, everyone just assumed we we're opening a restaurant or a cafe. Oh, and interesting. And uh, not that that's a huge problem because it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to educate people um, that veganism is much broader than food, which is, which is just, I mean, it's a good challenge, but it has been a massive challenge. We even see, you know, well, you, you probably see this yourself in different groups, that even vegans sometimes overly assume that veganism is just related to what you eat, which, of course, it's such a broad lifestyle philosophy that encompasses what you eat, what you wear, how you engage and treat with animals, um, uh, what uh, care products you use, um, how you spend. It, it, it's, it's huge. And um, uh, it's, it's been good, but I think it, it does confuse people a little bit um, given that we our products aren't related to food. Um, yeah, it's interesting you say that. I remember talking to a designer, someone who specialises in book cover design. And, you know, I mentioned my book this was last year and I said, oh, it's called Vegan Ventures. You know, and I said the title and then she, uh, she said to me, oh, yes, she said, I'm sure that'll be love. Or she and she referred to it. She thought it was a cookbook oh, or a yeah. recipe book. And I was like, no, I'm like, it's nothing to do with that. And when I explained and she went, she said exactly that. She was like, oh, my gosh, I hadn't even thought about be veganism being more than just food so it's interesting you you say that i'm wondering i'm curious as to whether um you know now that veganism's kind of a bit more trendy now um you know becoming a bit more popular and associated with more you know kind of cool things whether that that will start to shift i think we're probably just making a bit of a dent in terms of food and making food kind of vegan yeah. food kind of sexy and i think hopefully the next step will be you know fashion and and shoes etc and, and other things so cool like excellent thank you for, for 
sharing that. So what about for those people who they're listening to this and they, they've got a job and they aspire to or they want to run a business of their own, what in your opinion are the key things they need to take into account before making the leap from employment to self-employed? Yeah, I haven't managed to do that yet myself. That's true, actually. But <laughs> well, or for those who want to hold down a full-time job and run a business, um, <laughs> that's your speciality. Be prepared to give up your social life. <laughs> I basically work an eight-hour day, come home and do at least four hours of business work, um, sometimes more uh, every night. So there's not a lot of time to socialise. Uh, and when I do tend to socialise, it's with other vegan business owners because they understand the challenge. They understand um, where you're at. So um, I, I think I read a quote the other day and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was really good. It was some, said something like entrepreneurs are prepared to live in a certain way now um, in terms of they're willing to sacrifice some things so they can they can live a better life later. So it's kind of like there's a short-term pain for long-term gain yeah yeah Yeah, it's like you're building something amazing and and wonderful um so you you do have to make a few sacrifices in the short term um yeah I think that's good advice you know because you know that and you and I've probably both seen this you know there's a lot of these are get rich quick schemes or you know work from the beach you know four hours a day on your laptop kind of thing and and not to say that that's not possible but what they don't share is there's a heck of a lot of time and Mm -hmm. effort and and sweat and pain and sacrifice like you say to actually get to that stage Um, so I think it's a really good good point that you make there and you know because we want vegan businesses to succeed and I, I don't want people to start a business and think, oh this is going to be really easy and a breeze and all the rest of it so I think it's really good that you're you know being honest and sharing this kind of thing as, as other um, interviewees have done which is great what would you say what some of the mistakes aspiring business owners make and how can they avoid them I think um I've seen this uh, in a few new businesses where they um as soon as they hit one or two challenges or hurdles they give up. You really, it's not going to grow, from what I can see in most cases, it's not going to be an instant success. Even the people, even the business owners who do something amazing and it comes across as an instant success have, have um, done lots of different things in the past to learn the skills and develop the knowledge and the connections and the networks to um, launch an instant success, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've interviewed a couple of them, Miyoko Shinner from Miyoko's oh, yeah. Cheese and Pana Barbunas from Pana Chocolate. And you're right, people sort of look at that and think, oh, it's immediately a success. But they don't know that both of those have had, you know, immense amounts of experience and, and as you say, and connections and the rest of it. So, yeah. Pana's one of our customers, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's great. <laughs> yeah, he's a nice guy. <laughs> now we touched on um this earlier i was going to ask what skills from your well in your case your current job or your pre- and your previous jobs that you've had um have been useful in running a business i know you touched on like running teams are there any other skills that you would say that you're able to to put to use in running your own business my background's in um websites website management so that's been an incredibly useful useful skill to have because uh, oh, definitely <laughs> uh, half our business is online so um you know running our e-commerce so not to say that there isn't some significant differences and different challenges between running a um, large complex government websites to um to a you know dynamic e-commerce site which has been really interesting but um i actually work in the communications team at work too so uh the there are, there's lots of crossover. So I've learned skills in both areas which have um, translated well. So I, you know, I've got some skills from running the business that have been really useful in, in my day job uh, and vice versa. I try to keep the two things really separate though. Like okay, I'm happy to reuse skills, but um, I think uh, it's really important to demarcate the two, two roles. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah. I was going to ask you, actually, I mean, you've made the choice to run a, a, an actual physical store and when you could have just run an online store. So I'm, I'm curious about that. What made you decide to have a physical store in Melbourne? Um, it was mostly, it was a bit of luck. Uh, the people who owned Las Vegan Cafe at the time 
had some space that they wanted to lease out. So um, with and I thought there was good, you know, good dynamic between our two businesses. You know, they were vegan food and we were vegan fashion. Um, and it was like as soon as we opened a bricks and mortar shop, it, even the online business grew substantially. It's like I think. I think people still trust a business that has a bricks and mortar address over a business that's just online. Mm, okay, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, so uh, and definitely, definitely, for us, we need a shop just to um, get, uh, people. We sell shoes, and people like to touch, try on, pick up. You know, we've even had people who've flown in from interstate specifically to come and shop with us. Oh, it's wow. Very not to shop online. So, yeah. And I suppose it's like, you know, with the, uh, what was I going to say, with the, the physical store, you've got to know your market. And obviously, where you are in Melbourne, you're right in a, a very um, friend, vegan friendly area, like a vegan hub, or, you know, where a lot of people will come to. Because I think that's something that, you know, some people opening physical stores, they've got to really be quite sure of, of their market and know that they're going to have, you know, enough customers, either, as you say, traveling specifically to them, or enough foot traffic that people will come in off the streets and, and purchase. So. Cool. Yeah, Brunswick Street's a great vegan mecca. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, we touched on this slightly, or I think you touched on it initially when we talked about challenges. In terms of funding businesses, so every business has some startup costs, even if you're mm -hmm. going to start only online. Um, what were some of the methods you used to get started, if you feel comfortable sharing? And what have you found that works well? So, you know, whether it's investors, loans, grants, we've got crowdfunding as an option now. What, what are your thoughts on, on what the pros and cons are? of say getting investors on board or some of those other well functions. we don't have investors so i haven't done that um it's all just self-funded at the moment so um we haven't done crowds crowd surfing either uh so um i was fortunate i had an investment property i could leverage for funding um yeah, I think uh, for us personally, that was the best way. I don't know. I mean, I really don't want to be beholden to anyone else, even <laughs> even a series of investors. But I do know that they, they are businesses that seek investment um, tend to grow faster. Yeah. Yeah. No, cool. Okay. No, it's good to know because, uh, you know, that's – I think it's important for people to hear, you know, the different ways that they can do it. And I know a lot of the business owners I've spoken to, they've either had savings or, yeah, they've been able to leverage. And some have even said, oh, I wish I'd had a property that I could leverage to to get some of the capital. So that's good to hear that. So finally, let's talk a little bit about mindset, um, because, you know, a lot of business owners, they say running and owning a business, it's the fastest and most effective form of personal development. What personal qualities do you believe are essential to have to stay the core? and run a successful business grim determination <laughs> grim determination <laughs> what not happy determination <laughs> uh, you have to be passionate about what you're doing you have to believe in it um you know like at the end of the day because it can really there are some challenges that can be really disillusioning you know you might have a day where you have a series of um i mean we still get a lot of uh um constructive feedback shall we say um from <laughs> from both vegans and non-vegans alike um and, and quite often they'll be about complete they'll be they'll be talking about the same product but have completely different perspectives um so we're we're wrong on both counts it's quite you know it's quite strange um and and you can get down and and you have to know that that will pass i guess like um it really is so much more of an emotional roller coaster than I could ever have predicted, uh, and it's really you can't show that to um, to your customers, and you know they have to think everything is smooth sailing and it's you know all all going along well, but it can be really up and down. So I guess you really just need to find that passion and know you're on the right path and stick at it, even though. Some days you just think, oh, I just want to throw it all in and go back to a nice, comfortable job where I can leave work at five o'clock and not, not think about anything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I appreciate it. And I think that, you know, a lot of, I think, successful entrepreneurs do share that kind of stuff. You know, it, it it's almost like, 
you know, it's almost impossible to have that kind of success without the mm -hmm. the ups and the downs. Um, so I'm curious then, how do you, and I get what you, you're saying, you know, you have someone saying, oh, yeah, I love this product. Another person going, no, it's a shit product. And, you know, no one wants to, you know, get kind of criticism. So I'm curious, how do you get through those down days? Do you have any specific steps or strategies or techniques that you use to just in, ensure a strong mental and emotional well-being as a business owner? Yeah, I think really for me, um, well, my partner is really supportive, but also just having other vegan business owners in my network, you know, it's really just some, some of them, um, like I, I really get along with Jess from the Cruelty Free Shop, for instance, uh, and, you know, quite a, I mean, I'm on Brunswick Street, so they're <laughs> business owners to talk to. Um, and just when you know like if you can see someone else is having a good day when you're down, you, it reminds you that tomorrow can be completely different and often is completely different. You know, what, one day you might be on a real high because everything's going wonderful <laughs> and you've just been interviewed by Vegan Ventures, for example. <laughs> um, and, and wonderful things happen. Uh, and then, you know, the next day it's all, all criticism and, um, you know, it's often based on mysteries or you found some post about your business on social media that's really negative by someone who's never shopped with you and, you know. So I think I've got much thicker skinned over time. Um, I also do find the support of other people in similar situations so valuable. Yeah, that's really important, actually, it is. And I think what I like about, particularly around uh, vegan business owners and entrepreneurs, like uh, certainly with the interviews that I've done, a lot of them have said very similar things that, uh, you know, they when they they like to help each other out do you know what I mean so if, the, if you see someone else having a good day you're not kind of like oh god they're having a good day and being jealous it's kind of like oh great they're having a good day great fantastic that's you know it's a great thing that's happening in the world they're doing a good thing um, and then like you say that often just even acknowledging that can even you know shift and then your your mind you, you know you focus on something else and something positive happens so but I do find that vegan business owners and entrepreneurs when they come together they're so um you know, supporting and and just really great to be around. So I'm glad that you you raised that because I think that's an important thing to get people to do. Yeah, to to make sure that they're hanging out with in person if possible, um, but also online as well. You know, some great vegan business groups online that are are also really really helpful. So that's great. So what we're getting down to the final couple of questions now. What have what would you say, Justin? What have been the key lessons you've learned through running your business? And that can be personal. You know, like things you've learned about yourself. Or professional or both yeah well as I was saying like um you know I'm a fairly sensitive person so I've had to learn to not take things personally um uh, and and actually try and weed out what the nuggets of gold are within you know the the mud and slush of <laughs> um it goes on uh just having having to have self-belief like um when you run a business and you're it, you just have to keep going. And sometimes it's a case of you you fake it till you make it. So um, I've had to become a lot more, you know, a lot stronger as a person. It's been it's been really wonderful. And there are so there are so many really exciting moments. You know, you really feel when you're doing something like this for yourself, you feel so much more alive than you work than when you're working the nine to five for someone else. Oh, that's a really good point. And of course, we should mention as well that you, your house brand was featured among some other vegan brands at Milan Fashion oh, Week yes. as part of a, and a, which is really great. So I imagine something like when those kind of really cool things happen, it sort of reminds you of, you know, why it's all worthwhile and that, you know, you're really getting out there and not only running your successful business, but also literally making a difference in the world and, you know, making a difference in mainstream fashion, which is, is fantastic. That's very so. exciting. Yeah. So finally, Justin, what's your long-term vision for vegan style and yourself? Um, well, our immediate goal is to get this new, up to grow the business by moving to a new location, which I think we did. We mentioned that. But, um, yes, you're about to move to um, another location, which is also on Brunswick Street. Yes, just across the road. So um, Fantastic. Found a nicer shop, but of course we want we want um, we'd love to have a shop in every capital city. So, um, well, most. Of I was gonna. I was wondering about that. Are we gonna see a vegan style chain? <laughs> That's the plan. Um, 
I've got to get this new one right um, and, you know, we'll see where we are. It's a longer-term goal, I'd say probably 12 to 24 months. But, yeah, we'd love to open up a shop in um, Sydney. Yeah, Sydney. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the logical place. <laughs> Being selfish here. <laughs> um, well, that's where the second biggest group of vegans are in Australia, so that would yeah. that would make sense. Um, yeah, uh, from well, look, from there, um, we want to grow our own brand. We, uh, so we've got our house brand set named after our wonderful fluffy silver tabby cat <laughs> right next to me wondering who I'm Aww. talking to. <laughs> Hello, Ted. <Jet. laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I really want to bring out another range and we want to expand that into um, men's shoes as well. And we're also expanding our product range. So shortly we're going to be carrying one of the, some of the bigger, well, one of the bigger vegan cosmetic um, brands. I probably can't say yet. I'm not sure if I can, but watch this space. It's not long now. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and I want to, you know, we want to ex- expand out of, I mean, we are primarily footwear and we will remain primarily footwear, but we want a few more other bits and pieces as well to, you know, keep it a, a nice, um, nice holistic vegan experience. We won't ever be yeah. doing food though. Yeah, <laughs> got it. <laughs> the experts. Yeah, for sure. Wonderful. That's been brilliant, Justin. You've shared so many wonderful pieces of wisdom and insights and expertise. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me and being on the show. Thank you for having me. So that was Justin Mead from Vegan Style. You can find out more at veganstyle.com.au and that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our vegan business news roundup. US pharmacy chain CVS is offering more health conscious foods to its customers, including vegan products, reports Investors Business Daily. Natural and organic food items have already rolled out in 500 stores as part of a pilot program with plans to add 100 more stores a week until 2,900 stores nationwide are stocked by the end of the year. Among the brands added are Amy's Kitchen and Rhythm Superfoods. The move is part of a strategy towards offering healthier products. CVS stopped selling tobacco products in 2014, and that same year it changed its name from CVS Caremark to CVS Health. Well, this is certainly a step in the right direction. Of course, the more vegan products, the better. Italy's largest market is to add vegan sections, reports Veg News. New supermarkets that open under the Conad retail brand will feature a section with vegan items near the produce aisle. According to sales manager Valentino Colantuano, the move is part of an effort to serve a growing number of vegan customers. So again, this is another step in the right direction. It's great to see major places acknowledge the popularity of vegan food. Ideally, of course, we'll see an Italian version of Vigants, the German all-vegan supermarket chain, which is also set to open a branch in Portland in the US. A new vegan shoe brand has launched and its debut has been covered by Forbes. Susie Studio is based in Los Angeles and uses recycled products and natural fibres, including canvas, hemp and recycled polyurethane made from plastic bottles. Susie, and that's spelt S-U-S-I, means key in Filipino, and the idea is to unlock responsible approaches to fashion and style. Creative director Bianca Moran, who opened Susie Restaurant in the Philippines, the first gluten-free vegan eatery in the country, is keen to break stereotypes around vegan footwear. She told Forbes, For decades, consumers have pictured vegan shoes as awkward, ugly sandals that can't be stylish or trendy. We're ready to prove them wrong with our contemporary and versatile designs. It's fantastic to see yet another vegan shoe brand come out with different styles and designs that are good for people, animals and planet. Cracklins or pork rinds are not things you'll find on the list of foods to eat for vegans. Except now there is a vegan version, snacklins. 
Created by Sammy Kobrosley and his friend Logan McGeer, the executive chef of Smoke and Barrel in Washington, D.C., Snacklins come in three flavours, barbecue, Chesapeake Bay and soy ginger. As well as being vegan, the products are also gluten-free. Snacklins are available at Smoke and Barrel and two sister restaurants, Meridian Pint and Brooklyn Pint, as well as some other D.C. bars, local breweries and markets. According to DC Inno, the startup is currently seeking investment to scale up across the region. It auditioned for the next season of Shark Tank and is currently waiting to hear if it made it through to the next rounds of the popular TV show. See, there you go, yet another example of veganising a traditional meat product. It's innovations like this that will really help to turn the masses onto plant-based alternatives. So fingers crossed that the Snacklins team progress on Shark Tank. But you know what, regardless of whether they get a shark investing, the exposure from the publicity will give a huge boost to their business, as was the case for Shannon and Florian Radke of Cineholic, who you may remember I interviewed in a previous episode of Vegan Business Talk. Luxury car maker Bentley are considering animal-free alternatives for their interiors, according to Autocar. Seats are currently made from the hides of a particular breed of Spanish bull, which is, well, pretty gross, and it can take up to 20 hides to cover the interior of a Bentley Mulsan. Autocar reporter Matt Pryor visited the Bentley factory and crew in the UK and asked if there were any vegan options and was told by the company that they are working on it due to interest. Pryor notes that obstacles to overcome are that synthetic leather is not unique, unlike the bulls, and is not perceived as a luxury material. Still, it's good to hear that, you know, these luxury car manufacturers, especially something as prestigious as Bentley, is finally looking at cruelty-free alternatives and considering them. And I'll certainly report on any developments on this front. Finally, it seems almost every week I report a positive vegan business venture in New York on the show. And this week is no different. (laughs) Dunwell Donuts Vegan Donut Store is expanding into the East Village five years after opening their store in East Williamsburg, according to Gothamist. The new outlet is set to open this month on St Mark's Place. Although smaller than its Brooklyn outlet, the East Village Eatery will include donuts, pastries and coffee, with ice cream and other drinks also planned. Well, what can I say? You've probably guessed. Haven't they done well? (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't help myself. That was a pun just begging to happen. (laughs) You can follow the company's social media to find out the opening date. And again, another one for my next trip to the city. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. (laughs) 